This is Matthew 12. Beginning at verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mothers and my, are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. It's the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. So we're talking about the family of some of the early church folks. We talked about the family of John the Baptist to start this series, and then we talked about Peter and John, and today we're going to close it up by talking about the family of Jesus. Mark and Matthew tell us a little bit about the family of Jesus. We know that James and Joseph, or sometimes called Joseph, Judas and Simon, also called Simeon in many places, were the brothers of Jesus and sons of Mary. Um, there's also in the in, in Mark 6, 3 and Matthew 13, 55 and 56, a mention of some sisters of Jesus, and they're unnamed in that place. Galatians 1.19 mentions James as the Lord's brother. When Paul went to Jerusalem after his conversion, he saw him there. Brothers of the Lord are also mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9.5. And in that passage, it's mentioned that they had wives, so we do know a little bit about them. We know that they, were the, that they had wives. Um, that there's a lot of different views about the siblings of Jesus and who they who they actually were. One third century group introduced the idea that when Joseph became Mary's husband, he was a widower who already had six children. Uh, but later, that they held that Jesus was not born of that to to keep the virgin birth intact. And the next century after that, another bishop held that Mary had other children after Jesus, and he got condemned by his fellow because that wasn't okay with the early church. The early church, Jerome, is a good example of what the early opinion in the church was. He said that Mary always maintained being a virgin throughout her life. It's called the perpetual virginity of Mary. Um, and that was the opinion of the early church. He held that those who were the brothers and sisters of Jesus were actually children of Mary's sister, who happened to be another Mary, and who was considered the wife of Clopas, an early church figure. So there's a lot of controversy around who the family of Jesus is among scholars, but let me assert that I don't think there needs to be any for us uh, here. I don't personally see an issue with uh, Mary having children after uh, Jesus' birth. I, uh, I don't see a need for a perpetual, this is my take, so no need for a perpetual virginity stance. Although it's a commonly, it's still a held, commonly held stance, the Roman Catholic Church holds to this to that doctrine, and the Eastern Orthodox. Some early church fathers, Martin Luther, and in fact John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, held to that as well. So on this, I would disagree with Wesley. And I think that's, that's probably a good thing to, to let you know that it is always okay to disagree as long as you're doing it and through study and you're doing it in a, in a, in a, in a way that that, uh, that requires us to look deeper. For example, my reasoning behind that, there is actually, if they were cousins, which is what they would be, there's a Greek word for cousin. So scripture could have easily referenced the cousins of Jesus, but it didn't. So, so scripture seems to point that these are actually brothers and sisters of Jesus. Um, the other is that there is no scriptural support for the perpetual virginity of Mary. It's it's just part of an early church tradition that, that has been held uh, for a long time. 
But it's neither here nor there when it comes to our faith. It's a lot like those who spend a lot of their whole lives, in fact, trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back. When's Jesus coming back? <laughs> who knows? Who, who, there's one. There's one who knows. Who, who knows? The Father knows. God knows, and and perhaps that's good enough. So do we study it? Yeah, but don't waste your time trying to come up with a date, please. Just don't do it. it it's silly, it, and you know I'm sorry that I said you, but it's silliness. We're told not to do it. Don't bother with it. Only Jesus Himself was said, "I don't know." Dad does. You know, so see that the Father knows. So maybe that's good enough when it comes to that type of thing. The thing that we can really do nothing about. Do we study again? Study, study, study. I'm not saying don't study. I'm saying don't get so wrapped up in in some of these things that you end up uh, like some of those guys who predict the end and it's wrong. We're not called to that. We're not supposed to do that. Study, but don't, don't, don't go there. So what does that mean for us this morning? Were Jesus' siblings, the children of Joseph and Mary biologically? God knows. I don't really need to. Was Joseph married? Would they come from a previous marriage? Well, I guess that's possible. I don't have any real evidence to that. Does any of that make the siblings less brother and sister? No. No, these are half-brothers, half-sisters to Jesus. So Jesus' family of origin on earth consisted of these folks. Joseph, his, his, his stepdad, Mary, his mother, James, Simon, Joseph, and Jude were his brothers, and sister one and sister two. So, so we, we know that. That's that much we, we, we have, a, have a good idea of. See, we have at least a few scriptures and some early church writings and traditions that give us a little more information about the men. I'm sorry, but I mean, they didn't keep really good track, good track of you all way back then. Um, all of them became part of the early church. In fact, James became a leader in the church. His James, he was known as uh, James the Just. He was the bishop of Jerusalem. We know he was martyred. He was stoned uh, to death in 62 AD. Simon may have been there's we're not clear on a lot of a lot of him, but he may have been the Simeon of Jerusalem or Simon the Zealot. Uh, we're not sure. We, we tradition holds that he was martyred. Uh, Jude wrote the Epistle of Jude, so we have just a little bit about Jude, and is connected to Jesus pretty clearly, as he is known as the brother of James, and James is connected. So you see how how all of this kind of comes together. Joseph or Joseph, uh, I really I didn't find much at all about Joseph, so I. I don't have much information on on that particular brother. Didn't find any consensus on who he was. The sisters, um, there is some speculation that one was named Asalom and one was either Mary or Anna. And that has to do with the Salome that was at the cross. Was she the sister? But with that, it's unclear. What we do know is, though, that the family of Jesus struggled with who he was, they had a hard time kind of understanding what he was trying to do. So to that end, I want to read another version of our passage today. One of the great things about having four Gospels is it gives us vantage points. So we got to see a little bit earlier from Matthew. This is what Mark wrote. It's Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about it, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. 
And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? The kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, his end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. Crowd was sitting around, they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mothers and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those who in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. And that brings us to, who is Jesus' family now? Wow, because you're right. Uh, we are Jesus' family now. We are the body of Christ. We, he welcomes us and he brings us into that family. And, and that's why we, we, may not, we may not get along all the time, but we're going to love one another regardless, right? We're going we're gonna to work together as best we can. Rudyard Kipling once wrote about families. All of us are we, and everyone else is they. Family is we, and everyone else is they. I'm going to talk a little bit about insiders and outsiders in a little while. The family shares things like dreams and hopes, goals, possessions, memories, smiles, frowns, sadness, and joy. The family can be and claim held together with, with love. And, and respect, mutual respect. It can be a shelter from the storm. Because the world is tough. Life is going to bring storms to us, and a family can be a place of shelter from that storm. And that's what the church can be when we're at our best. We can be all of those things. We can, we can be support for one another and, and, and an anchor point when things are, are going a little haywire in the world. When we live out... The thing we talked about last week, little children love one another, as the Apostle John gave us last week. When we live that out completely and fully, that's when we can, we're at our best when we're being the family of God. So I want to make two points this morning, just kind of two main points. When we're in Christ, point number one, those who were once insiders often become outsiders. Those who where our insiders often become outsiders. And my second point, those who were once outsiders are invited in. Those who were once outsiders are invited in. Because in Christ, his family becomes our family. So let me start with the first one. In Christ, those who were once insiders often become outsiders. Did you notice where Jesus' family was? Where were they? Outside. Kind of fits with my point. <laughs> they were outside, and in the in our passage, we see that that the, the scribes and Pharisees are trying to point whether well, it's about you know he's doing this stuff through Satan and be else. But have you ever noticed that the devil tries to get into our family stuff? When we're having a struggle with family, he just loves to get in there and trying trying to say, if you were just a better Christian. 
then they come to know Jesus. If you just did this, then they'd be able to, to, to come to know Him. Tries to get us to believe that if we can't get them saved, then we'd fail as Christians. The devil is a liar. The father of lies. If you wrestle with anything along those lines, like, I just need to do something better to get my family right with God, I'm sorry, you can't control your family. Live your life fully for Him. Be an example. Kind of like we talked about last week. An example for Him. And then trust that God will move within that. And what's also great about that is, about our passage today, is that if Jesus could have some family problems, and we have some family problems, that's pretty good company, I, I, I think. You know? It, you know? So if He can, and, and we do, maybe that's okay. Maybe our expectation needs to not be that we're going to get it just perfect because we're not. If his family was truly supportive of what he was doing, where would they be? Inside, right? They'd be in the room. They would have been doing something to support him, and yet they weren't. They were outside. They really believed in him. They would not only have been inside, they would have been helping him. They'd have been helping him to deliver this message. Someone tells them, your mother and brothers are outside, they want to talk to you. Now, as we've talked about a little while ago, his family does come to know him after the resurrection. But at this point, that's just not the case. That's just not the case. During Jesus' preaching and teaching ministry, we don't have any clear evidence that any member of his family fully understood who he was, that he was the Messiah who had come to save the world, to give us salvation and eternity with him. And Matthew doesn't give us the reason that the family came, but Mark does, and I find this just really intriguing. Uh, his family apparently went out from Nazareth to Capernaum, and this was not, a, you know, this isn't hop on, hop in the car, or come out. They went from Nazareth to Capernaum to, to see Jesus. They heard reports of the commotion that Jesus was causing to, in his ministry, and they wanted to take control of Jesus and alter what he was doing, because they thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. So they wanted to change that. So they went to fix it. Right? He said, this is my brother Jesus. There he is again. Let me go fix it. They didn't want to speak to him because they believed in him. In fact, they didn't believe in him. And that's why they went. And they are the ultimate insiders, right? This is the family of Jesus. Insiders often become outsiders. And perhaps that should give us pause as the church. I've been in the church most of my life. I am an insider. What do I need to think about around But my second point is, is, is beautiful as well, is that outsiders are invited in. Jesus got right down to the heart of the matter. He talks about how do we define a family. He shows no disrespect in his actions or his words to his family. But he would not abandon the work of the kingdom for their sake. He would not. He wouldn't set aside. He went out to talk to them after he made his statement. But he didn't set aside. Okay, okay I'm going to come with you. And I'm going to stop pushing against the religious hierarchy of the day. I'm going to not do that anymore. He said, no. I love my family. 
But I'm not going to let them stop me from being about the business and work that I'm here for. In fact, he sees it as a teachable moment as he illustrates who his true family is. And he does it with a question. Who's my mother and who are my brothers? And answer, here are my mother and brothers, as he points to his disciples. And an explanation, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So he answers them with a question and answer and an explanation. And he says, this is what I'm about. This is it. He's not going to be deterred from what he's here for. He was on a mission, a messianic mission, and he was not going to be pulled away from that, even if it disrupted some biological loyalty. The Lord invites the entire world into his intimate family. He invites all to come. Anyone can enter his spiritual family just by... By trusting in him, by giving, turning from the old to become new. He didn't come to abolish family. In fact, he later upholds that the law demands children to honor their father and their mother. And he came against a lot of the, the traditions that allowed loopholes in that law. But Jesus does demonstrate the preeminence and the, the, the need for a commitment to him and to the kingdom of heaven, which places people in a new spiritual family. And then he redefines family for all eternity with that last statement. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, this is my mother and my brother and my sister. I love that he included sister. Because as I mentioned earlier, back then that wasn't, that wasn't a normal thing. The rabbis, in fact, if you were a woman, you could not follow a rabbi. It was not allowed. Men followed a rabbi. So he broadens things to include women as well. He allowed women to hang out with him. You see that through scripture. See, with Jesus, any person, woman or man, young or old, Gentile or Jew, who responds to the gospel of the kingdom and believes on him for eternal life is his disciple. Discipleship is not defined by, by the rabbis or the rabbinic models of the day. It's defined now by a relationship with him and obedience to the Father. So we enter into a relationship with Jesus and, and, and we seek to obey the will of the Father. See, all means all to Jesus. It's not all except. It's all means all to Jesus. And in Christ, his family becomes our family. When that happens, we get to receive the Holy Spirit. What a gift. Ever present with us. Many in here have gone through loss recently. And the Holy Spirit is that mender, that that bringer of peace in, in circumstances where peace shouldn't happen and get done. The right person at the right time saying the right thing or doing the right thing or just being present with two ears to listen. We're transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, our life tends to be self-centered. We tend to do things that we want to do and follow the guide that, that is of our own making. But with the Holy Spirit, our purpose becomes Christ-centered. Because it's not all about me anymore, now it's about Him. In fact, our marks of discipleship are based on this purpose to be transformed. They're in your bulletin on that tarot down at the bottom. We pray daily and often when we're, we're, we worship weekly. We study scripture every day or a, a scripture-based devotion. We get God's Word into us every day we engage in service inside the walls and beyond the walls of the church. 
We have spiritual relationships and friendships that help both mentor us and we mentor other people. We, we give up our time, our talents, and our resources to the work of God in this place. There's six marks of desire. The fact about that, that the marks took are really great. That's what that's about. Prayers, pray daily, presence, be here, gifts, your gifts, your talents, uh, service, serving to outside the walls, be a witness everywhere that you are in relationship with others. We added one. We added daily Bible reading, which hopefully one day we'll see that as one of the. And yeah, maybe when the vows are done and the thing, that'll be a part of it. It's assumed as part of it, but, you know. That's what we're doing when, when we commit to do those things with the marks of discipleship. Because in Christ, in Christ, those who were once insiders often become outsiders. And those who were once outsiders are invited in. Now, I don't know where you find yourself today. That's something for you to think about. Where do you find yourself today? Which group am I in? If you're feeling like an outsider, please know this, that God has his hand extended to you now, in this moment. He loves you completely. He offers you uh, the gift of of salvation, but he offers you the gift of his presence or the power of the Holy Spirit. He's inviting you in, but he's not going to force you in. He stands at the door and knocks, but he's not going to break down the door. He loves us too much to take away our free will, so he gives us that choice. He's inviting you in, and we're going to sing here in a moment a closing hymn. And during that time, and I don't often enough probably say what we do during that, but the altar is always open. The invitation is for you to come and to pray. And I hope that if you came into this place with anything in your life that you don't need to take out with you, that you would leave it here because it's representative of the altar of God, that you're leaving it at the cross and you don't have to pick it back up. If you want to commit or recommit your life, I, I'm up here every, every week. So you know, I'm more than happy to meet with you, to pray with you, whatever it is. It's an opportunity for that as well. You are invited to come. Always. He has his hand out. If you've already accepted the invitation and you're in the body of Christ, accept it into the family. Now I want you to just for a moment take a look around the room. Take a look around. Your brothers and your sisters are here. These are your brothers and your sisters. Some of them are here for you. Some of them have gifts and graces and talents that are going to impact you. God's going to use them to impact you. But you know what else is beautiful? You're here for some of them. You have gifts and graces and talents that God wants to use to impact their life. That's the body of Christ as we help and support one another. So love them. Love one another. Care for each other. Encourage one another to become all that God would have us to be. I still think Apostle John got it right. Little children love one another. Maybe do that completely in this place. Then why would we come?